I was thinking this week as I was thinking about our conversation this morning, I thought about the time when I was, I think I was nine, uh, eight, nine, or ten, but I'm pretty sure I was nine, and uh, my parents woke me up on Christmas morning and said, Santa Claus has come and he brought you a bicycle, and I couldn't stand it, and I went out, and sure enough, in our den was a purple Schwinn banana seat bicycle, which was the most beautiful bicycle ever made. That news was topped only by the time when my lovely wife, who's drop-dead sexy, said to me, yes, I'll marry you. And that news may have been exceeded by the time when I came home one day, Diane was downstairs in our basement, she asked me to come downstairs, she sat on top of the washing machine, and she said, I think I'm pregnant. Blew my mind. If I'd known what was coming, I would realize that's not very good news. But anyway, <laughs> what is the best news you have ever received? All right, I'm going to ask you to, I'm serious, I'm going to ask you to turn yourselves into circles of at least four, not more than eight. Introduce yourself and then I want you to answer this question. What's the best news I've ever received, and how did I react to it? All right, groupletize is what we call it. So go, groupletize right now. Okay, good morning again, Gateway. This is Terry Eagle, and... That is just really obnoxious. Terry directs small groups for us here at Gateway. Terry, why do we do groups at Gateway? Well, one big reason we do groups at Gateway is because this big group of people is too big to connect with one another. So connection is a, point, is a reason that we do groups. And we've got lots of groups. We've got classes. We've got um, activity groups, which are just kind of fun groups. And then we've got small groups. And the reason we do, a, a bigger, deeper reason that we do small groups is because we can be and build Christian community with one another. So that means if I'm going through a tough time or if I've got a time to celebrate, then that group of people knows me and loves me and is willing to point me back to Jesus as we walk through life together. So that's why we do small groups. Okay, so I've, I've asked Terry if she would uh, kick us off this morning. So Terry, read Philippians 1, 27 through 30, if you would, and then pray for us. So let's go old school and let's stand out of reverence for God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending together as one person for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Would you pray for us, Terry? We just thank you for this time together today. I thank you for the voices as, they, as people were sharing and talking. We're here today because we want to experience spiritual growth. And we do want to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the gospel. So please direct us, Lord. I pray for Ed's words today. I pray that they be, would be your words to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
So today is one of those big picture passages where the Apostle Paul points true north. He tells us what direction we're going, and at the end of today, I'm going to be honest and a little obnoxious, and I'm going to issue a challenge to us. So let's start with the don't miss this principle. If you miss everything else today, don't miss this. We're going to give a summary of what Terry just read. And it'll be our marching orders for today, and we're going to repeat it three or four times, but, uh, but this is our theme today, and this is the don't miss this. God graciously gives his people faith and suffering so that they can enjoy fearlessly working in radical community to tell others the great news about Jesus Christ. God graciously gives his people faith and suffering so that they can enjoy fearlessly working in radical community to tell others the great news about Jesus Christ. Okay, do you recognize what that is? Among other things, that is an assault on casual Christianity. Paul says this late in the passage, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. Jesus' brother, James, wrote a little book in the New Testament. He commented on this same principle. He said this, every good and perfect gift comes from above coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This means our faith and our experience with God comes to us as a gift from God. So the foundation of our connection to God is not our cleverness or even our seeking after God or our good Baptist summer camp or our good Catholic elementary school experience. The foundation of our connection to God is God moving in our lives. The foundation of our connection to God is God moving in our lives. Look, many of you have had the same kind of experience that I've had where you come to some new understanding or some realization about your spiritual life and you think, wow, that's awesome. I'm so glad I realized this or I'm so grateful to have learned this. And then you eventually realize, wait a minute, God has been after this for a long time in me. He's been here waiting for me for months. He's been steering this whole experience. That's why we say at Gateway, we don't believe you're here by accident. Our faith comes to us as a gift from God, God stirring in our lives. And so does our suffering. Let me repeat. Our suffering often comes as a gift from God. This is critically important for us to understand, and we need to hear why this is so important. I can think of at least three reasons why this principle is so important for us, especially us, to hear. First of all, a frank conversation about suffering is critical for us because we are suburban Americans and we work really hard to sanitize our lives so that we can eliminate the inevitability of suffering. We surround ourselves with comfort. We obsess about health care. We fill our silence with entertainment. But it's not possible to eliminate suffering. Still... When it comes, and all our efforts to keep it at a distance have failed, we are undone. Our lives are overturned, and unnecessarily so, right? So we have to talk honestly about suffering because it's inevitable. And this may be especially true for Christians. Jesus told us, quite frankly, in this world, you'll have trouble. 
The second reason we need to be honest about suffering is because our culture is growing increasingly antagonistic to Christian thought and values. Now, I'm not trying to bang the well-worn drumbeat of how horrible our culture is. We've heard many voices bang that drum for the last 30 years. So let's not forget that there are many amazing things about our culture, and we don't honor God by bashing it. But it's a fact that our culture has moved dramatically away from its Christian moorings. Many social commentarians are suggesting today in articles and books that we now live in a post-Christian culture. In fact, demographers, some of you may have read this, demographers have created a new term in the last 10 years. It's called nuns. When asked, what is your religious affiliation, these people say none. This category first dramatically caught demographers' attention around uh, 2007. In 2007, the number of people who said no religious affiliation, none to religious affiliation, that had swelled to 15% of our population. So you began to see articles about it. That's about when people started to take note of that category. Today, 10 years later, that number is 27%. Nearly doubled in 10 years. People who say they have no religious affiliation. So if you're under 40 today, I'm just over 40, but if you're under 40, I don't know why that's funny. And especially if you're under 25, young people, if you go to sleep, don't go to sleep yet. You need to go home and reread this passage for yourself this afternoon. You need to be realistic and recognize that Paul has written this more directly to you than to me. You will experience this more than I have. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't be frightened by those who oppose you. They will oppose you. A final reason we need to be honest about suffering is because our response to suffering is one of the things God uses to convince others that his great news is true and powerful and unconquerable. Those of you who know Paul's story from the New Testament, if you're familiar with it, you know that he himself had once been a persecutor of Christians early in his life. He had been a party to putting a number of Christians to death because of their faith. And he had vivid memories of the courage and steadfastness of those he had attacked. I'm sure at the time he tried to convince himself that this was just obstinance or stupidity, but it worked on his heart. Where did that courage come from? What's the source behind the power of this testimony? And Paul knew that the suffering of the Philippians, and he's writing to a group of young Christians who are suffering for their faith. He knew that their suffering, along with his own, was accomplishing the exact same thing. This is a sign to them, Paul says, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Ultimately, this does not end well for them. And your courage is a sign of that. Some of you have heard me tell of a testimony I heard years ago. If you're new to Gateway, you've not heard this, but years ago I heard a testimony of a Romanian pastor. He was speaking years ago when my wife Diane and I lived in the Boston area, and I went to hear him. He had been pastor of a large and dramatically growing church, a movement really, that was in Romania, in the capital, before Ceausescu fell. And honestly, if you know anything about that little revolution in Romania, the Christian movement was part of the genesis of that revolution. And this pastor practiced preaching in public. So he would go out on the street corners and he would preach. 
And when people came to know Jesus Christ, when they invested in their faith in this good news, this gospel, then he would baptize them. Now, the Romanian government, the communist government in Romania, tolerated Christians, but it was illegal to preach in public, and it was illegal to baptize young people. And this pastor was doing both, so he was repeatedly in prison, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks or months on one occasion, I believe, at a time, and he was often tortured, and he wouldn't stop. So finally, probably in an effort to intimidate him, they brought him in one time, beat him up, and then threw him in the the back of a police cargo van, and he didn't know where, transported him, he gets out, and he goes into the room, and it is the governor of his territory. The governor of his territory wants to interview him and yell at him and intimidate him and tell him basically this has to stop. And it had exactly the opposite effect on him. He realized if they brought me before someone this important, this must mean I have their attention. So after yelling at him for a while, he's been beaten up, remember, after yelling at him for a while in an effort to intimidate him, the governor gets up from behind his desk, comes to the other side of the desk, and says, basically, if you don't stop, do you know what I'm going to do to you? Do you know the power that I have over you right now? And this Romanian pastor said, you have no power over me. Because if you let me go, I'm going to walk out and preach in the streets and baptize young people who come to know Jesus Christ. If you kill me, then my testimony will multiply a hundredfold. You have no power over me. That kind of freedom and fearlessness and faithfulness builds a giant echo chamber for the glory of Christ. God graciously gives his people faith and suffering so that they can enjoy fearlessly working in radical community to tell others the great news about Jesus Christ. Listen again to how the paragraph Terry read for us started. Paul says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's awesome. That word translated conduct yourselves is a word used only here in the whole New Testament. It means literally live as a good citizen. Live as a model citizen. Live as a worthy citizen. This term suggests that Paul isn't just talking to us as individuals. He's talking to us collectively as citizens of a new culture, the culture of Jesus. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel. You and I, we were made to work this way and to live this way. We were made for community. Do you know the story of creation? The story of creation, Genesis 1, God created the world in six days. And after each epoch of creation, God looked and said, that's good. Then another, that's good. He got to the crowning achievement, his creation of man. Then he stood back and looked at the whole of creation. He said, that's very good. There was only one thing in all of creation that wasn't good. Man's aloneness. In chapter 2 of Genesis, God said, it's not good for Men, to be alone, they'll watch television all day and get in trouble. 
The last night of Jesus' life, Jesus prays, and the apostles are near. They hear his prayer, and John has the presence of mind to remember it and later write it down. He prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us. So, pause for dramatic effect. We have a written prayer, a record of Jesus on the last night of his life. He knows he's about to die. His attention is riveted on what is absolutely most important. And he prays for us. Listen to this. Listen to what he prays. Is it joy that he prays for? Is it, is it health? Is it faith? Listen to what he prays. My prayer, this is John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, for the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. On the last night of his life, when Jesus only has time for that which is most preeminent, he prays for our unity that the world would know. Our life together is one of the ways that the world will know the glory of Christ. It may be the primary way. This is why we believe here at Gateway that our mission is to draw others into authentic Christian community. We're convinced that we're here and God put us on this corner to draw others into authentic Christian community. We have to admit that this is a challenge to us, and I don't mean we, I mean we. We have to admit, everybody here has to admit that this is a challenge to us. We can live extremely comfortable, insulated, highly individualized lives. These are the lives that we've built for ourselves. And into that, God calls us to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one person. And for us here this morning, it gets even more complicated. Not only do we struggle against the incredibly strong current of contemporary American upper middle income suburban life, but we don't even know one another at all. Last Sunday when Jordan was up here leading worship, those of you who are here, you may remember at one point he said, hey, raise your hand if you know more than half the people in this room. Now, on a question like that, no one is going to raise their hand, but it just happens to be the fact that almost no one here could raise their hand. Some of you don't know more than five people in this room. Most of us know less than 20 people in this room. We don't know one another. How can we contend as one person for the faith of the gospel? That's why I am intent on making it difficult for you to remain connectionless here. If we're going to build anything like the unity to which Paul is calling us, the unity that Jesus prayed for, we've got to work to do and to be that. We've got to work, we've got to invest. There's nothing casual about this. We've got to invest in this, and we've got to choose it. Also, for the last three years here at Gateway, again, those of you who are visiting, you were not part of this, but for the last three years at Gateway, 
those of us who've been part of the church feel like God placed something really important on our hearts and lives. I want you to build a building, a facility on the corner of Gum Spring Road and what will be and now is, yay, Tall Cedars Parkway. I want you to build a, a facility there for this community. Let me tell you some other time the history of our uh, getting this property and building this building, but let me just say it initially came to us because a Northern Virginia developer saw this piece of property 21 years ago. And it was dramatically undervalued. I'm embarrassed to tell you how much we paid for this property. Well, actually, somebody bought it for us. Later paid them back five years later the exact price that they had paid for it. And we had offers 20 times what we paid for this property. So he came out here, saw this piece of property. He's a Northern Virginia developer who's made a zillion dollars. And really what he is was a really nice used car salesman, and he thought, this is a great undervalued piece of property. I'm going to buy it and put a mall here as if what we need is another strip mall. And he came out and started walking on this property, and it was a fairly new Christian, and he felt like God spoke to him. And God said to him, I want to raise up a church for this area and put it on that property. And 20 years later, that's what you've visited Okay, so over the next months, Gateway Community Church and those of you who have come seven times and those of you who are, are here for the first time today, over the next few months, God is going to give us our next assignment. I have some hints, but I don't know what it is yet. I've said this to our leaders, our deacons, and our elders we're going to be praying and thinking, and I want you to do it as well. God is going to give us our next assignment. And we need to be ready to contend as one person, to stand firm in one spirit for what God calls us to do next. God graciously gives his people faith and suffering so that they can fearlessly enjoy working in radical community to tell others the great news about Jesus Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, Paul says, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And we have to acknowledge the obvious. Did you notice the phrase, for the faith of the gospel? We are to strive. We are to contend. We are to exert strenuous effort to increase faith in the gospel, even in the face of opposition, in fact, especially in the face of opposition. Okay, when I say this, there are obviously various reactions. Some of us, when we begin to talk about exerting strenuous effort to increase the faith of the gospel, in the gospel, and of the gospel, there are some of us who think immediately, look, my faith is very private. I don't want to be sharing it with others, and I don't want them sharing it with me, what does that even mean? There are others of us here who think, I, I don't even know about my own faith. How, how am I supposed to contend for the faith of others? There are others of us who think, oh, maybe I should, but this is intimidating. I, I don't know enough to stand firm in one's spirit concerning the faith. Well, I want to allow all of those reactions. But at the same time, I want to affirm that this, standing firm, in one spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is where God is taking us. 
You're not being invited into, and I need to be clear, you are not being invited, I hope by me, but if not by me, certainly by God's Spirit. You are not being invited into a, hey, why don't we go to church today kind of thing. You are being invited into a standing firm in one spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel kind of thing. That's why I said at the beginning, there's nothing casual about this. This is all in, or it's not in at all. The word translated frightened here, by the way, is also a word that's only used here in the whole New Testament. Paul has cleared out his whole thesaurus on this paragraph. This word was usually used in the context of a horse being spooked by something. And what a rich image. Paul reminds us, we're not going to be spooked. We're not going to be put off by opposition. We're going to cut a straight and steady path in the direction of God's leading. And others will see that. And initially they'll think, where's all this obstinance, maybe stupidity coming from? But over time they'll be convinced one way or the other. So, let's end with the challenge. Where are we today? And let me offer some categories. And I I seriously want to challenge you to think about which one of these categories are you near. Or maybe it represents you exactly, or to articulate your own category. Where are we? And a message like this, when we hear this from the Apostle Paul, where are we? Well, today, some of you here may be unconvinced, and you know it. I want you to know, honestly, I'm personally honored that you're here. It's rainy, half of Northern Virginia is sick. I'm honored you're here. I'd like to tell you that, come on in. Listen, let me explain what he means by that word gospel. And sometime over the next few weeks as we're going through Philippians, I'm going to take a little paragraph and I'm going to explain what he means by gospel and I'm going to invite you to join. And I'm excited about it. I hope, not hope, I wish, I wish that what I could tell you is, hey, come on in, it's going to be easy peasy. Listen, if you get connected to God, if, if you decide to say yes to everything that God is doing in your life and around you, Everything after that is it's going to be up and to the right. It's just it's going to get better and better. There's going to be more sunny days. You won't believe it. I'd like to be able to tell you that, but it's not true. But I can tell you God is inviting you into a life-changing adventure, a life-changing adventure that you were made for. And we'd love for you to join us. Quite frankly, we need you. There are others of you, I suspect, second category. You may be unconvinced, and you don't know it. You've had a pretty casual approach to your spiritual life. You think you've got it. I mean, what else could there be? I hope, even to the smallest degree, you've been somewhat unsettled today by God's assault on casual faith. There is no place for it. You've been called to more, and if you're not interested in pursuing that more, then there may not be anything real in you. If there is no interest, if there's no quickening in you to pursue that more that God is calling you to, then, then he may not live in you. Because a real connection to God always calls us to more. And I don't apologize for doing that. 
a third category. Or you may be spiritually convinced and looking for your next assignment. And I know I've met several of you who I think fall into this category. You started coming to Gateway in November, or you came for Christmas Eve, or you've been the last two Sundays, or you've been four times out of the last seven weeks. You're spiritually convinced, and you're looking for your next assignment. That's awesome. And I honestly hope that that next assignment is here with us, standing firm in one spirit, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel. By the way, that's exactly how you should be thinking. I'm sorry for the potential arrogance and condescension, but that is how you should be thinking. I want to affirm that. You're not looking for a good church. You're looking for your next assignment. I want to say that again. You're not looking for a good church. You're looking for your next assignment. If it's here, let's figure out together how to put you to work because there's a lot of work to be done. And we're waiting, we're waiting for God's next great mission and it's going to be great and we need you. Another category, you may be convinced spiritually and you've been sitting for a while here at Gateway. You started coming when we met at Mercer Middle School. And you've wandered in and out. You're on the inside of faith, but you're not yet connected. You're not invested. You're not giving your time or your energy or your money. There are legitimate reasons. This may be an incredibly busy season in your life, and that's legitimate. There may just be fatigue emotional fatigue from the rest of your life or from the last four years and a need for recovery. It may be that you're here alone. The other part of your family is not here and you're trying to figure that out. There may be woundedness from a past spiritual experience or a really bad spiritual connection. There may be other reasons. That's totally legitimate. I want to issue one word of caution to you. And probably out of all of these categories, you more than anyone else know who you are. (laughs) Uh, One word of caution, don't let that be an excuse for too long. God has more for you to do. God graciously gives his people faith and suffering so that they can fearlessly enjoy working in radical community to tell others about Jesus Christ. Finally, some of you are convinced and you're all in. And I don't say this often enough. If you're new to Gateway, if this is your first Sunday, this is great. Take notes on this. If you're here another 10 years, it might be the last time you hear it, but I love you. I love working with you. I love and have loved standing alongside you and contending with you. I love agreeing with you and affirming with you. I love arguing with you, knowing, of course, that you're wrong. (laughs) Let's pray that this next season will be the most fruitful season we've ever seen in ministry. We've ever seen in ministry. Would you pray with me? I just want us to be quiet for a minute, and I want you to think about what category you are in. 
and what God is asking. You're unconvinced and you know it. Thanks for being here. That's a lot of courage. Maybe you had to because your parents drug you. That's still a lot of courage. Just hang in there and open your heart up and let him speak, because he will. You're unconvinced, and you don't know it. You've had a casual approach to faith your whole life, and you thought that's what there was. I'm worried. I want to wake you up. That's not enough. It's not what you were made for. You're spiritually convinced and just looking for your next assignment? Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. I hope it's here. If it's not, go find it and be quick. You're spiritually convinced and you've been sitting for a while. I pray for relief and I pray for health and I pray for release. I pray that this season you would allow God to get you back in the game. Finally, you're convinced and you're all in. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to knit my life to others who love you and are all in and want to serve you. I pray, God, the prayer of our Savior, that you would make us one. We would stand firm in one spirit in spite of the chaos of our lives, the busyness of our lives, or the incredible current of individualism and comfort and materialism, that we would stand firm contending as one person for the faith of the gospel. Lord, I pray for those who are standing outside of that stream. I ask Lord Jesus this morning, I pray for a gigantic echo chamber that echoes your glory from one side to the other. I pray that you would speak and stir our hearts, move us to join, to join what you are doing. Lord, we know we're not here by accident. We also know that we are very, very rich in money, in skills, and we have used those oftentimes entirely on ourselves and our own comfort and our own entertainment. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would put us to work in something mighty and holy, I pray that you would knit our hearts together, Lord, as one, and you would release us to our next assignment. This morning, if we forget this on Tuesday, if we forget this on Thursday, I want you to remember this morning we said, our eyes are on you and we're all in. We want to live together in a manner that's worthy of the incredible news that we have received. I'm going to sing for the sake one more time. Mike, could you go to that bridge?
start for every knee to bow down, for every heart to believe. as we leave. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and for all the ways you've blessed us. We ask that you would use our resources for your honor and your glory. We want you to be known in this area. We want you to be known all over the world. And so we pray that you would use us this week to bring honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.